Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to hey great shot this is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we wanted to offer an update on everything that's happened thus far in the 2022 SEC college tennis season. Of course, very sneakily, we're reaching the end of the regular season in college tennis here this year. Of course, we still have conference tournaments ahead of us. We still have the 2022 NCAA tournament on the schedule, but the race for the top eight seeds, the race for the top 16, the race to even get in to the NCAA tournament, it's coming down to its final weeks. Each of these last matches critical for all of these teams as they try to pad their resume, cement their status in the NCAA tournament, cement their spot in postseason play. Of course, on this show, we want to focus on each of the SEC teams that have put themselves in a position to compete for the postseason. That means running through both the men's and the women's conference. Of course, we'll preview Friday's matches quietly, our final Crack Rackets SEC cross-court broadcast of this season. And it has been such a pleasure for us to be able to provide a platform to so much fantastic college tennis throughout the course of this year. We are immensely grateful to all of our friends at the SEC, each of these schools, each of these coaches who fought for us to have this opportunity. Hopefully all of you have tuned into our broadcast. If you have not, you can follow this Friday on each of the team websites. It promises to be another fantastic day of college tennis. But again, on this show, we want to break down where things stand in the conference. Our final season, uh, final weekend, excuse me, of regular season play in the SEC. That is crazy to say out loud, but there are still some juicy matchups left on the board. Again, we'll discuss it all on today's show. But if you are going to talk about the SEC, 
and all things college tennis. If you are going to talk about the race for the postseason tournament, where teams stand in the rankings, what valuable wins are left on the board for them to possibly catapult themselves into the top 45, there's only one man you can turn to to have join you on a show to do just that. He's the man joining me here today, a man you know best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks Formula Predictions, never far from the listed UTR, one of the many games to root for the Liberty Flames, a post-prime Greg Maddox and a man who knows far too many of my secrets. It's our friend, Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure to get to nerd out and talk SEC with you. How are you doing on this Monday night? I am doing great. Probably not as good as your weekend in Ann Arbor, but I'm doing great nonetheless. Well, as uh, you know, who was it? P Diddy said, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Tell the world I'm coming home. Yeah, it was a nice homecoming. It was a pleasure for me to get the chance to, you know, get, see the Michigan Wolverines in person. I got to go to a match, which is surprisingly my first of the year. And I think that makes it 10 consecutive seasons that I've attended at least one Michigan men's match at home. Shout out to me for that record. It's got to be some sort of streak. I want to hear, by the way, tweet at us at college tennis ranks at AL Gruskin. How many consecutive years have you gone to a home match of your favorite school? I am sure there are people who have done more than 10 consecutive years, right? Chris, there has to be I'd say over under 24 and a half years as the longest streak out there. Well, considering you got guys like Bill Richards at Ball State coaching for like 40, I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure there's somebody that's probably at that mark. No paid appearances. That doesn't count. That's not fair because <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean, you have spouses, you know, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, no. If, all right. There's going to be some rules. I'm talking about neutral fans. You guys got what I meant. Of course, the professor has to immediately poke holes in everything and point out the loopholes. But nevertheless, yes, it was a fun weekend in Ann Arbor, but also a very fun weekend for me. And I will say this. I did our Friday SEC broadcast from my parents' house. I was home visiting them. Uh, They live in Michigan. That's why I had the opportunity to attend Ann Arbor. That's the only, I'm not even going to say that other conference's name here on this SEC-centric show, but that's the only non-SEC. SEC content we'll have for you here today. I did our Friday broadcast from the basement of my parents' house because I didn't want to disturb them. And I swear to God, Chris, it's the first time in my life I think my father respected my profession because I walk upstairs. It's like, you know, 930. We've gone for nine and a half consecutive hours of talking. And I come upstairs and I'm, you know, firing off a quick 45 seconds of words as I'm prone to do. And my dad goes, Alex, after all of that, you still have things to say. And I was like, I, you know, that's what I do. I was like, this is what I was meant to do. And he goes, I am actually impressed. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. And yeah, it was a fantastic day of college tennis. Certainly we were so fortunate to have perhaps the upset of the weekend, uh, Kentucky knocking out Tennessee at home. It was a, a phenomenal weekend for the Wildcats as they get two of the wins they needed over their fellow top five men's teams. They knock off Georgia as well. And, you know, certainly we were privy to some of the fantastic women's action. Vanderbilt, maybe a season turnaround victory as they knock off Tennessee in Knoxville. The Georgia women continue to look better and better as those freshmen round into postseason form. Texas A&M is on cruise control. And, you know, again, the Auburns, the Arkansas of the world, everything uh, in between was a fantastic day of college tennis. I want to get into, again, by subsections, I want to talk about 
where each of these teams stand in the race for the postseason. But I do think the place we have to start once again, it's funny because we were here last time we spoke, is with Kentucky, who perhaps we mistakenly crossed off on our last episode of the deciding point. And the reason we did that is Kentucky had the opportunity to face Florida, to face South Carolina, you know, two of the definitive matches they were going to have in SEC conference play. And unfortunately for the Wildcats, they ended up being knocked off in both matches. But, you know, a point we continued to harp on throughout the course of our deciding point is that Kentucky had their four biggest SEC men's matches at the end of the season. And certainly, you know, it while South Carolina was on the road, they got Florida at home. They got, you know, Tennessee, Georgia at home. Well, some of the close losses they had earlier in the season clearly paid dividends over the course of this weekend as they're able to eke out a 4-3 win over Tennessee, a 5-2 win over Georgia at home. What's particularly impressive is if you look, they dropped that doubles point in the Tennessee match, and yet they're able to find five, uh, four wins in singles. They sweep the number five and six singles positions against Tennessee. They're able to knock off South Carolina 5-2, and again, you look for this Kentucky team that has struggled mightily in doubles, or excuse me, Georgia 5-2, and you look for this Kentucky team that has struggled mightily in doubles. They take the doubles point with some new pairings. Gabe Diallo finally healthy enough to get back in the doubles lineup. He and Lapidot a win at two. Draxel and Mercer with the clinch at three. That was always the low-hanging fruit. For this Kentucky team, we've said it all season long. We feel very good about five of their guys in singles. And if you look at the record, and we can get into that in a second, the stats are very much a reflection of that top five. Draxel, Diallo, Hurrion, Musatelli, Lapidot. You feel good about those five guys in pretty much whatever order, but we know what the order is going to be. You can find at least three singles wins out of those five. The question is, where's the fourth point coming from? Doubles has been a struggle for them. They're under 500 on the year at the number six single spot. This weekend, J.J. Mercer is able to deliver the goods against Tennessee. He plays a competitive match against Georgia, which keeps them alive when they need it. They get the doubles point against Georgia as well. That's the low-hanging fruit. It's like they haven't been good in those two categories. They were a little bit better this weekend. It paid dividends, and we say it all the time. Why is a team a cross-off? It's not because they can't beat one top 16 teams. It's can they do it four times consecutively? Well, for the first time this season, it wasn't four times, but Kentucky did it two times consecutively. And yes, the matches were at home, but they defended their home courts, Chris. This is by far their best weekend of the season. Yeah, I mean, they they did what they needed to do. Didn't didn't even think necessarily that they were going to do that coming off kind of the South Carolina loss and the way that, you know, the way things played out there. But yeah, I'm st- it's it's so, it's such a tough call. That, I mean, it's borderline to say, you know, the cross off is such a borderline thing with them. I You know, for both teams like them and South Carolina, we know they can beat anyone. The question is, can they beat everyone and four times and, you know, give them the, you know, granted, give them the first two rounds and maybe only the first one's a given, but give them the first two, get to 16. You got to do it four times in a row now. So they did two of them there. Now, could they turn around and beat, say, like a Virginia and then a Florida? I mean, it's still I I think it's still a tough go for them. They obviously they took care of business as, as they had to. I was honestly, the surprising thing to me was the outdoor match 
they went with J.J. Mercer again at six. I'm still curious to see how that plays out. We know the top five are the top five. I thought, uh, and assuming he's healthy, I don't know otherwise, uh, but I start to wonder now. I thought outdoors we might start to see Yasha Zamel at six uh, coming down the stretch. I mean, the stretch is here. There's only two matches left this weekend. And then we go to conference tournament uh, and then NCAAs, right? So, but but as you said, they just, they've yet to find an ant. When you're under 500 at six and you're not playing all top teams, you've had your share of, you know, other matches in there. It's just a match. It's, it's a spot they don't expect to get a win at when you're playing a top 10 team right now. How many double sets do you think Gabriel Diallo has played this year? Completed. Completed uh, three or four. See, this is why they call you the professor. He's played only three completed dual sets. This is a guy who was one of the handful of players last season who was an All-American, not only in singles, but in doubles as well. If you're adding that piece into a doubles rotation, that respectfully, and Coach Kaufman and Coach Gordon would be the first two people to say this, and so would Coach Kobelt. 31 and 23 overall in dual match play in individual sets. That's just not good enough. And yes, this team has depth in singles, but if they're up 1-0, that singles lineup becomes that much more potent because, boy, can they find pathways to three points. You look for Joshua Lapidot, 16 and 2 overall on the season, 12 and 1 at the number five singles spot. The word lock is always tough to use. You feel very good about the lefty in what has been a breakout sophomore season uh, against just about anyone and that you can find at least one point there. You look at the numbers. They're 12 and 8 at the number one spot. Drax, although 11 and 5. 15 and 5 at the number two spot. You feel like they can get one of those as well, right? Split the top two. Then you look at three and four. They're 18 and two at the number three spot. Diallo 10 and one, Hurrian two and oh. Whether they play Diallo at two, move Hurrian to three as they did this weekend against Tennessee, that paid dividends. And yeah, it wasn't a healthy Johannes Monday. That said, Diallo cruises to a victory at two. Hurrian still grinds out the win at three over HUD. There's, you know, again, and then you have Francois Musatelli, who's just a quiet nine and five at the four spot. They're 13 and five overall there. You feel like they're going to split three and four as well. So there's three singles points. Again, where's point number four going to come from this weekend? It was the six single spot against uh, against Tennessee. They found doubles against Georgia, which was the original fourth point as well. Do we uncross? Like, again, after this weekend, you look for them in the projected rankings, which, of course, you can find courtesy of the College Tennis Ranks website. Kentucky right now, 12 in the rankings, projected to number 10. Again, 17 and 6 overall. I believe they're going to be the number four seed in conference play. You look for this Kentucky team now, conference record 9 and 2. Again, the losses to to Florida, to South Carolina, but South Carolina has taken. They should uh, be the three. They'll, they'll be the three seed. Okay. So excuse me. They'll be the number three seed. I mean, barring, barring an unfortunate loss to LSU or Mississippi state that we probably wouldn't expect, uh, you know, the, and, and, or barring South Carolina losing to A&M and letting them jump to two, they should end up at three. Yeah. And, you know, again, 17 and six, you look for this team, a four zero loss in Columbus before the indoors again, Everyone was losing 4-0 in Columbus before the indoors. They lose 4-3 to Baylor in the quarterfinals of the National Indoor event. Then they lose 4-1 to South Carolina. They don't have Draxel in either of those matches. They lose 4-3 against Florida at home, a match they had 
on their rackets. They lose, you know, 4-3 at South Carolina, 4-2 at home, a match they very well could have won against Virginia, a bunch of third sets in that match. They have played everyone close this season. This has been the sort of year we expected from Kentucky where they are sniffing and amongst the elite of the elite in college tennis. Now, there have been some lumps, as they're going to be for any team that's amongst the elite for respectfully the first time for this group of guys. And I'm sure Draxel and Diallo would say, you know, and Hurrian would all say, well, you don't you didn't think we were elite last season. Not in the way you are this year. You've been a perennial top 12, top 10 sort of team. They're the number three seed, you say, in the SEC tournament. You know the question I'm going to ask you because we do that. This is, again, the updates we want to give for all of you SEC fans. If, is it finals? Is it conference title? What gets this team a top eight seed? Of course, it's worth noting they've got at LSU. They've got at Mississippi State this weekend as well. What The pathway to the top eight is back alive because they've beaten Tennessee. They've beaten Georgia. What do they have to do to put a, you know, to put a bow on it? Yeah, I mean, they, they had to do that, right? And so now coming in as the three seed, that means they're going to get, uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna get the six seed uh, potentially as long as six beats 11, one, two, three, four. I'm looking down, one, two, three, four, five. So six is interesting because Tennessee's just got an awful, you know, for the for as high in the rankings as they are, they're, the, you know, they're as low in the SEC as they are in the, in the national rankings. Um they're actually sixth in the SEC right now, a fifth in the in, in the ITA rankings. I think Wait, A&M, A&M likely loses both matches this so, weekend. So Tennessee uh, finishes five. I was going to say, so who does A&M play this weekend? They must have, what, Florida or something? At South Carolina, at Florida. Okay, so that's the A&M home stretch. So do they have to lose both for Tennessee to finish fifth? Uh, no, if they even if they split, you know, Tennessee assuming – at home, Tennessee beats Alabama and Auburn. Uh, then, then they would finish tied, and Tennessee owns the breaker. Uh, but if there's anybody else involved in that tie, there shouldn't be at that point. So, Tennessee likely the five. One, two, three, four. Yeah, Tennessee likely the five. A and M the six. So, so that means Kentucky gets A and M. Probably not enough help to get them a top eight, which means now they're down to that semifinal match against South, what should be South Carolina. They need to win that match. So it's finals for them. Finals probably to make uh, a top eight and host. So we do think is what about, so what's the case for Tennessee? Now we can look more broadly and we're going to start with the top eight men's seeds and, you know, we'll get to the top 16 conversation as well, because I think it comes down to these top five schools. These are your picks with all due respect to Texas A&M barring some sort of run. I mean, look, if they beat South Carolina as their, again, projected 6-3 matchup, then they beat Kentucky to get to the finals. Maybe, just maybe, they'd be in the hunt for a top 16 seed. You can confirm or deny there, uh, Chris, momentarily. But outside of that, it's the top five as it has been all season. Florida, you know, Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, all in that race for the top 16. And I believe they've all clinched their spots in the top 16. And this is one of those instances where in the moment, yeah, I, outside of Florida, who beat all of them, they're all probably grateful to one another that we beat up on one another. It's like, hey, now we all get to hang out top 12, and now it's a race at the conference tournament to see, as it has been all season, which of us 
is the most deserving top eight seed because you feel like the SEC is going to get three, right? You feel like if South Carolina – well, that's my question to you. For South Carolina, Georgia, Kentucky, is semifinals enough for any of them? Or Tennessee even, because and Tennessee, who I meant to throw in there as well, who obviously has been Monday-less and took a loss to South Carolina and took a loss to Georgia, or uh, and took a loss to Kentucky, excuse me, uh, and took a loss to Georgia, right? Am I am I crazy here? And I think so, and took a loss to Florida as well. Yeah, Tennessee's got four losses. Yeah, exactly. So lost to the other top five schools here, and sure, some of them were without Monday, but you know, you play the matches with the players you have on your roster. Are they in jeopardy? Of, like I, Again, Tennessee was the national indoor finalists. They had some really good early season wins. Are they? Do they need finals here? No, I think Tennessee's okay. I mean, they're still looking at a – they're still top five, and they're still top five projected for next week just based off, you know, the the road win at, with – or the – the win against TCU, right? I mean, that's a that's a big. They've got some big point getters. Uh, they got the road win at TCU. Baylor. They've got a win over Baylor. Uh, you know, a win over Wake Forest. So, um, win over South Carolina at the indoors, right? And and then South Carolina, yeah, at indoors. So uh, they've got a lot of good wins. I don't really think they're they're in. Uh, I don't think they're in any danger of of falling Wake out Forest. necessarily. What I can say is that what a brutal draw for Florida to be the top seed, likely going to go undefeated, assuming they beat AM. And then they're going to be staring at getting the winner of the four five match, which looks to be in all likelihood Georgia versus Tennessee. I don't think <laughs> I, mean, I don't think that's a tough draw. I think the tough draws for Georgia and Tennessee who look at like Tennessee's like, we're the five seed. We're five in the country. Like yeah, I, Tennessee, you're always going to have to play a match the day, you know. Yeah. In the SEC tournament, you get a double bye if you're top four. So Tennessee's oh got to play an God. extra match. Granted, if they're five, they're going to be playing that 12-13 play-in winner, which is yeah, Bama against Yeah, but you know who needs the someone. extra match is Johannes Monday and Martin Prada or whomever is at the number six single spot who needs that extra match to work their way into it, perhaps gain some confidence. I actually don't think that breaks horribly for Tennessee. I disagree with you. And I mean, typical Chris Hallior is trying to work in some Florida like guilt, make people feel bad for Florida under no circumstances is that happening. Yeah. And let's do that conversation just quickly here to wrap up our SEC men's conversation because, I mean, all due respect, I I mean, South Carolina is so dangerous. They're going to beat somebody. The question is who? And it's just like, what James story do you get on any given day? Because doubles-wise, they are rock solid. And you know you're going to get probably two of three of Rodriguez, Samuel, Thompson. You probably can find one of Lambling, Story, and whomever they are playing at six plus doubles. Like those four points, you're going to get at least one. That's how they find three on the board so frequently. I mean, do we want to rehab the Georgia conversation? I guess we haven't checked in on Georgia in a while. Well, I think I was going to go back to answer your que- your your first question about getting a third team into the top eight. I think with South Carolina and Kentucky sitting there at nine ten, and in all likelihood, if the math you know if the math plays out and they are the two three and they meet in the semifinals, someone has to win. Yeah. So. So somebody gets whoever makes the finals, if they do get to play each other, you know, gets the big win over a top 10 team. And at that point, now you're looking at right in front of you, Virginia Wake Forest, who don't get the luxury, uh, you know, of both being able to, you know, one of them has to lose 
the final to the other. It's a very good possibility. You know, we'll, we'll see how there's a several rollovers that have to happen, you know, where teams can move around. But it does look good for the winner of that match that makes, assuming they play each other, for whoever makes the finals to try to vault that other ACC team uh, and and push their way in because neither Virginia Wake Forest is going to get a huge, huge help from teams they beat along the way. Uh, you know, the, the winner obviously will be in. The loser of whoever doesn't win that match in the ACC could be in trouble to Kentucky or South Carolina. Yeah. I think that's fair. I would say on the Georgia note, I mean, you look for the Bulldogs this season. It's not as though it's been a bad year for them. And certainly, you know, uh, 15 and six overall, seven and three in conference play. Their three losses coming, you know, at Kentucky and, you know, four, three in college station to Texas A&M. That's probably the one they want back. The 4-0 loss to the Gators. You look for this Georgia team again. The problem is, where's the spots where they're outstanding? You would say Kreuter probably at five. He's 12 and three overall in the dual match season, 11 and two there uh, at the number five spot. He's been excellent for sure so far this year, uh, but only three and three in conference play. And, you know, beyond that, 33 and 17 in doubles. They've been really good at the four spot. Again, Kreuter and Gravillius uh, at the three spot, excuse me, Kreuter and Gravillius have been excellent, but. That's one doubles flight. You know, they're 11 and five at two, eight and eight at one. And Hamish Stewart's been good, 10 and four at the one spot. And McCormick's played much better uh, of late, six and two uh, in his last 10 uh, matches. They're good in a lot of places. I just don't know if they're great anywhere. And so that's the question of can they win four in a row? Uh, anything you'd add there on Georgia? No, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's tough for them. They're a very good team, but look, I don't think anybody in their right mind is even going to pick them to win the SEC tournament. And if you can't pick them to win the SEC tournament, it's really hard to make a case to say they're going to win a national title. Yeah, I agree with you. And then quickly on the Gators, 19 and two overall in the season. Florida's won 14 matches in a row. Riffis has won 12 straight decisions. You know, Shelton had a bad weekend where he lost two in a row, but he had also won 12 straight going into that. And he's 10 and two at the number one spot. Andrade quietly 16 and four. The big news, Duarte Valle. Yeah, he's 13 and five overall in the season. He's eight and one in his last 10. Chris, he's heating up. Josh Goodger, seven in a row, eight and one in his last 10 matches. He's heating up. And then skaters teams winning some doubles points. Seabar and Andrade have won seven consecutive decisions. Shelton and Riffis, 12 and six at one. They've won four straight. You know, I think they've got options, whether it's Vale and Benetto, who are six and two, or Vale and anyone at that three spot, I think you feel pretty good about. Florida is now the prohibitive favorite to win the national championship. They have rounded into that sort of form where they have just, you know, respectively outside of the Kentucky match, which was the 4 3 match on the road. That's the only 4 3 match they've played since losing 4 3 to Texas. They've been beating everyone. And, you know, outside of Alabama, I suppose, pretty damn assertively. Yeah, I mean, I don't look we, that's This is what we expected all year that by the end of the season that would come around. So here's yeah, the thing, know. though. It's one thing to expect this level, but this is the highest of high national championship levels. This is like what Virginia used to do during the ACC season. And then they come to the conference tournament. And they play their one close match against Wake Forest, but they win it. And then you're like, all right, this team's going to win the national championship. That's the sort of aura this Florida team, the success they've had. I mean, is there a bigger joke than like, just put Sam Riffis at the two spot and he's going to freaking kill you. 
It's just like something about that two line. He dominates. Yeah. I mean, look, those, the, as, as you said, Riffis is hot. Shelton. I don't, I don't, I don't think very many people probably put a lot of stock in that. I almost, I get the sense that Shelton's just like, this isn't even competition to him. You know, <laughs> obviously he's not out there trying to lose, but, but he's going to turn it up uh, when he, when he has to Vale's getting hot. It, we're seeing the top three that we expected to see. The real question is, what's the bottom of the lineup? See, how long has it been since Seymour played singles? Are we going to see Seymour play singles? We know Andrade is playing four, but then the questions come at five, six, right? We've been seeing a fair amount of Josh Goodger lately after he had taken a little time out of the lineup. We had been seeing a fair amount of, of Nate Benetto. Um, they've been playing some other guys in many cases, they've been playing other guys in matches that you just, you know, they played the top four teams in the STC right away. So they've had the luxury of being able to play guys to give them playing time. I don't know who the crunch time five and six are, are going to be for them. I thought it was going to be Seymour and Goodyear. Uh, but I know they really like Benetto, uh, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see. And we got, we even had a Lucas Greif sighting over the weekend. <laughs> so, you, you know, we noticed that here at <laughs> Cracked Rackets. Let's do one more thing quick. Tanner Stump, it's announced. Parsabom, as always, Tanner, uh, you know, the associate head coach for Florida, instrumental in bringing in guys like the Crawfords, like the Riffises. This era of Florida success, of course, head coach Brian Shelton deserves so much adulation, so much praise, but he will be the first to say Tanner Stump, you know, the way Michael Jordan says, don't say my name without Scottie Pippen. That would be the first thing he would say about the success he's had in relation to Tanner Stump. The floor assistant job is a hell of a job, Chris. And let's play a game of speculation, Jones. Top three candidates. Top of your I'm not get, I'm right not getting now. into this game. Oh, you don't want to play it? Because we're going to hear about it. Is that why you're afraid? No, now, 2018, Chris would play this with me. You're not going to, you're not going to look there. There's not going to be anything done till the season's over. Of course. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, they're, they're not talking about it. Uh, they're okay. obviously the people they want to talk to probably are focused on other things. Assuming, you know, oh, who knows? Maybe there's somebody that's not even in coaching anymore. You saw the comments on Parsa's tweet. Uh, that's all. I, I can tell you this, that's a hundred percent speculation because Brian and Tanner aren't having those conversations right now. Uh, so people that are wanting to comment on who they think is on the list already, there is no list. It's not out there. Uh, that much I'll tell you. Yeah, that's what you think. Um, no, there's all right. You're right. I don't know if there's a list. I'm sure. Well, I don't know if there's even been a conversation had yet. You're right. We're focusing on this season, this era. And of course, Inevitably, you start to think, well, is this mean Shelton might turn pro? What's Riff is going to do for that final year? All these different things, you know, up in the ether. We'll deal with that in June. Um, that said, objectively, the Florida assistant job with where this program has been particularly, there are people who will look at it. There are people who will make jumps. I'm thinking off the top of my head, are there any assistants across the country with Florida ties, whether they played there, who would be interested in going? I mean, there's a plethora of volunteer assistants with Florida ties across the country, but that's an appealing job. I'll say this and not to, you know, again, if Rich will go from Columbia to USC, someone will go somewhere to Florida. And so it's an appealing job. Will you at least admit that? Oh, I, I mean, I think, yeah, for sure. Brian's going to have 
you know, it's his pick, right? I mean, I don't think this is something where you see tennis odyssey post that there's a, uh, there's an opening for the Florida assistant coach of please submit your applications. Right. <laughs> I think this is a, this no, and is, of course, yo, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say this, this is going to be a case of, you know, after the season's over, Brian making his, his short list or however many folks he wants to have on it and basically going out and saying, Hey, would you be interested? Would you be interested? Would you be interested? And I, you know, I don't know if he just goes his number one first and then goes after him or if he actually, you know, makes a, makes a list of three or four or five and actually talks to all of them to see what he thinks. But, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to have the pick of, you know, of what he would like, what he would like from a lot of those assistants out there. I'm sure. Yeah. There are, I want to say some names, but I don't want to get in trouble. We'll save it for June. Yeah. Will you tell me names in June? Will you promise me that? Oh, I don't. I, heck, I, I can't speculate on who who they no, are. No, I'm but. saying some candidates, some appealing candidates. We'll go through the list in June. We'll save it for then. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating job. Um, you know, again, it's right by USDA as well. So you figure there will be some coaches who are there that'll be in the mix also. But yeah, it, it's a fun little storyline, uh, certainly for us to monitor here this off season. And I'll tell you this: I know the bars where all the coaches will be going. In Champagne, I know where those conversations will be had. You know who will be plopped <laughs> on that corner stool, being like another round for Coach Shelton. Uh, it'll be Alex Ruskin. Plop right. Brothers, there. I don't think you're going to find Coach Shelton. Okay. In the, the best story. Yeah, that's a very good point. The best storyline that could happen, and I'm not reporting this. There is not an ounce of truth to the next thing I'm going to say. I want to make that abundantly clear. Don't you dare tweet at me that this is going to happen. The best possible storyline would be James McKay going from Tennessee to Florida because just the, you go, all right, we'll take McNell, but you were taking McKay back and that's not happening. I want to be abundantly clear. That's not happening. That, that, that would, that would be extremely ironic and funny. Yeah, no, exactly. It's the storyline we deserve. Um, all right. With that said, enough on the men's top five. We've talked about all of them so frequently. They're all very, very good. And if you're an SEC fan, you feel like, you will have a representative at a minimum in the in the NCAA semifinals. Very, very likely right now. Again, Florida is your prohibitive favorite right now as we enter or approach postseason play. With that said, let's flip gears and look at the women's side of things at the top of the conference. And, you know, I've been a Texas A&M truther all season long, Chris. I've been adamant that despite the fact that A&M hasn't had the most opportunities to flex their muscles and earn victories against fellow top 10 schools, the mat, you know, the eyes don't lie. And this team's statistics are laughably exceptional. They're 25 and one overall. They're undefeated in conference play. They went on the road, beat Georgia 7-0. They, you know, earn a definitive victory over Auburn as well. Again, they've beaten everyone they've been asked to beat. And you look at the numbers, we're going to have a conversation on the deciding point uh, this week on our women's show about our most valuable players of the 2022 season. And we're going to fact, and we're going to do that on the men's show this week as well, Chris. So get your top five lists ready. And in terms of most valuable player, we're not talking about the best player in the country. We're talking about positionally, who is the player by spot that you'd most want to have, for instance, JJ Tracy at the number three, sing, uh, number four single spot, right? That's very much in your most valuable position player conversation. So is Tatiana Makarova, 
who's 20 and 0 overall in individual dual matches, 17 and 0 at the number two singles spot. You look for this team in doubles, 51 and 9, Chris. 51 and 9 in individual sets. They've won 85% of their matches, 18 and 2 at the one spot, or excuse me, 19 and 2 at the one spot, 20 and 2 at two. They're 12 and 5 at three. And I actually think their uh, teams, you know, again, they continue to get better, whether it's McBride and Pilot, who have been the team of late, who are six and one overall. They just never get to finish because one and two have won so quickly. It's like this team is up 1 0. And then Makarova is going to win, so it's 2-0. And then whether it's Brandstein or Goldsmith or Stoyana, who's 20-1 overall, the freshman, 16-1 at the number three spot. They've got Katya Townsend getting healthier and healthier. She's 8-2 in her last 10. She's won four in a row. She's playing six for them after having so much success uh, early in her season uh, or in her career in the top three of the lineup. You know, on paper, this team's got it all, and I got to go look up the UTRs. I'll do that momentarily, how this team UTR-wise compares to the conference. But I still think, upon last view, that they're a bit behind Georgia from the Power 6 perspective, and I don't think they're a top 5 Power 6 UTR uh, across the nation as well, if you don't mind looking up top 10 in the nation on the women's side, and then the conference rankings as well, Chris. That said... I don't care what the UTR says. I don't care that they don't have the most ridiculous ranked wins. They beat Auburn 7-0. They beat Georgia 7-0. The only 4-3 match they've played this season, two of them, 4-3 loss against Cal. We're not relitigating that. They probably, you know, again, you play that tiebreaker at three all the number six single spot to decide it a hundred times. Who knows how it goes? They beat Tennessee 4-3 on the road, but I believe that was a match they were up 4-2 at the clinch. They're killing everyone. Like, again, metric-wise, statistic-wise, this team is exceptionally exceptional. Yeah, I mean, look, they're, they've, it's not a lock only because they have two matches left, but they've won the conference. I mean, yeah. they'd, have to lose, they'd have to lose both matches this weekend to, to not win the conference. Can I just so. say them losing at Missouri in the season finale would also be beautiful. That would be like just a mwah, sort of little morsel at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe you could make for a huge upset at Arkansas, but even if they lost that match, they well, Arkansas is pretty they good. But yeah, you're right. So, so the, yeah, the conference is over. They're tenth nationally, Power Six UTR to answer your question. Uh, so it's you know not like they're you know and they're fifth in the ranking. So, you know, they're not like they're underrated, if you will, but yeah, they've just, they've just blitzed the sec. I mean, it, the shame is that they didn't, you know what they didn't get to do it indoors. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I would agree with you. And, you know, again, the fact that at the national indoors, and we've talked about this, they play ODU who they beat four one. And at the time, it's a very good win. Uh, but certainly ODU doesn't have those power are those top 10 wins that would, help the ODU ranking stay up there the way uh, some other teams that were at the indoors got good victories. And USC, with their struggles throughout the course of the season, their different injury issues, that win hasn't quite appreciated in value the way they might have hoped. That said, they did all that could be asked of them. They swept the SEC conference. And let's assume they do beat Arkansas, who we'll talk about when we talk about the best of the rest for this SEC. And you look for Arkansas 14-7 and seven overall on the year and currently number 33 in the projected rankings. They've played a lot of teams close. And I think, you know, between 
Cross and Spink and Keller and uh, just the, the lineup they bring. I'm bl- and Tatum Rice and the doubles point that they play. I think this Arkansas team is really good. And on the road, that's going to be a tough match. That said, does A&M have to win the conference title? Do they need another win over Georgia? That would be a top 10-ish win. Certainly Auburn uh, has taken some losses over the past couple of weeks. You look for Auburn 17 and three overall, but they lose to Georgia. They lose to AM. Now they, or excuse me, they lose to uh, South Carolina. They lose to AM. They still have Georgia this weekend at home, Tennessee this weekend at home. You know, that's a massive final week. What a final weekend for the Auburn women who have certainly been one of the stories of the season, 18 and four overall. You look at, uh, you know, these teams, They there's still some meat on the board here. Give me where these teams are at, top eight, top 16-wise. Yeah, I mean, I think A&M should be, I mean, you can never be too safe. They're fairly safe right now in the in the top eight. They're, they're, they're five this week, projected to six, but it's a five-point cushion down to Duke at nine. So I, that's a, I mean, that's a really big cushion when you're looking – uh, at, at a five point jump, that's, that, that's some serious, you know, wins there. And when you, and when you consider that it's Duke nine and Virginia eight, and you've got ACC battles going on there, plus you've got NC state and North Carolina already up there. Yeah. There's opportunities there. If one of those teams, you know, well, Virginia's already technically in sitting at pro- projected eight right now, but for Duke to, to make the jump, that's tough. Uh, so yeah, A and M and, you know, a loss to Georgia wouldn't hurt. It would certainly help Georgia if that happened in the sec tournament and probably put them into uh, a top eight spot. But yeah, I think that's, I think A and M seems fairly safe. Georgia, probably the only other team likely to be able to make that jump. Now I think Auburn's played themselves. Uh, they, they've probably played themselves out of it barring, Mm-hmm. a big week. I mean, they've got Tennessee and Georgia at home this weekend. Yeah. So there's some you know, meat on the bone still. Yeah. Let's see what happens there. But you know, if they, if they come away with, let's say they come away with a win over Tennessee, but a loss to Georgia, probably still, uh, you know, too far out looking in to try to grab a top eight, but that I think they, you know, they, they want that Tennessee win just to feel safe and secure in the top 16 spot because they're, you know, they're sitting at 13 right now. So uh, you don't want to take any chances at letting anybody, you know, a couple of teams jump around you and, and get you out of the top 16 because Florida is one of those teams and you're potentially going to run into them, uh, you know, in an SEC tournament. Uh, but, but yeah, I think, I think Auburn's probably safely at nine to 16. And it's just a question of A&M Georgia, one of them's got to, one of them's got to be in, uh, especially if they end up playing each other, say in the conference final, can both get in tough ask. I mean, Georgia's got, Georgia's got work to do uh, to get there, not out of the question, but you know, it's like Georgia, Duke, Ohio state, all in that same range uh, with, with a lot of work to do. What about Florida? The Florida women are interesting to me because they, I don't want to say they haven't been bad, but I don't think they, I mean, they've been fine. They're 17 and five. No, no, no. Fine. Doesn't cut it. I apologize. Coach Thornquist. They have been good, but they don't have a signature victory. You look for them at the national indoors. Very good win for over Washington, but the four, two loss to UVA, the four, three loss, a match they had against Ohio state. They've lost to Anna. 
They've lost to Georgia. You know, they lost to Auburn. Now they've beaten everyone else in the conference. And they got a very good 4-1 win, certainly, over Tennessee at home. And, you know, they've got South Carolina here coming up this weekend. And the South Carolina women, in my opinion, one of those rising teams who have played better and better down yeah, the season. Yeah, they're, they're hot. That's a huge match. Florida's 16. They are the bubble team for, for you know, they're not obviously in the contention for a top eight. But for battling for a top 16 seed, they're the number. And they've got to play South Carolina, who just knocked off Auburn. Yeah, no, and that, and that was massive for South Carolina as well. After they, you know, had their chance, they take doubles the top two sets. Megan Davies, uh, two matches. Megan Davies is up a set. They lose at Vanderbilt. Uh, but yeah, that was a massive victory for South Carolina uh, against Auburn and for South Carolina, who's played really good doubles this season. And with you know Sarah Hamner, the freshman who has been a top ten player in the country all year long, your All American champion. Her at one, Ayanna Ackley, who's gotten better and better at the number two spot. You feel like, all right, we just got to find one more. And they've been able to do that of late, even if it took some drama, uh, certainly against Auburn for Megan Davies. But I still don't think South Carolina would be a signature victory. And I feel like for Florida, they have to beat a Georgia or an Auburn again. Or I know, I, I, I honestly, I really do think they probably have to win the conference title to be top eight. For the Florida women. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they can get to top eight. Period. I think they're. I have. They're. They're doing everything they can to hang on to a top sixteen and host. Period. Yeah. Just host so the first two rounds. If they beat Columbia, are they going to be the number three or the number four seed in the conference tournament? If uh, if they beat South four? Carolina, because yeah, they, South Carolina. because right they, now, yeah, because they lost. Right now, they are the they're they're the four seed, but that's very tenuous with. Auburn sitting in front of them with two losses and has Tennessee and Georgia. Let's say George, let's say they, they split. So they finish with three Florida beat South Carolina. They finish with three Auburn won the head to head. Did they Correct. not? Correct. Yeah. So, so Florida ends up the four seed. So that's actually, I think a good thing for Florida because then you'd get another shot at South Carolina, who I believe will finish as the five, but even if it's not them, the, if it's Arkansas or whatever, actually, uh, yeah, that, well, have South Carolina just has Florida left. That's it. Yeah, so they would beat South Carolina, which would give them five losses. And then you've got Arkansas, who's got four right now, but they play A&M, so that's five. Uh, like so, yeah, South Carolina probably ends up as the five. So point being, Florida would have a chance to get either a South Carolina or an Arkansas win. Then they'd get a shot at A&M again. Then maybe a shot at a Georgia again or an Auburn again. Even that, I agree with you. I don't think it's enough. Yeah, I think you can stop at A&M. Yeah, gonna... that said, what is <laughs> if Florida makes what? Semifinals? They just hold seed? They should be top 16? Should be yeah, able to fight they, off the rest? A Pac-12 they, winner? Yeah, if they beat South Carolina twice, for sure, they, they end up Because this race is so fascinating. UCLA, or I mean, Miami 14, UCLA 15, Florida 16, Stanford 17, USC is 19, Arizona State's 20. So you feel like the Pac-12 is going to get one. Do they sneak out two? Does that second team box out Florida? Like, that's one of the races to watch. Yeah, Stan- well, and Stanford's got, uh, you know, Stanford's got a really, really weak ninth <laughs> win right now. So anything they can get in the in the Pac-12 tourney will be much more beneficial to them uh, than anybody else. You know, Florida... You look at Florida, Florida's got trouble getting points. They've got a 40-point win in their ninth spot. 
and Stanford's got a 14 in the nine spot. So Stanford's got all kinds of room to gain where, where Florida's got trouble getting points. Yeah, no, and look, this Florida team's solid. I mean, again, from Kessler to Zane at the top of the lineup, Dudney gets better, Spee and, you know, Briggs and Shelton, all the different options they have. It's very Auburnish in that you feel like they can get to four a bunch of different ways. At the same time, what are their overwhelming favorites in the lineup? I don't think you can point to anyone in particular. I think, sure, when Kessler plays her best, she can absolutely beat anyone. But, like, if it's Kessler versus Hamner, as it will be this weekend, that's a toss-up match. That's really fun. You feel like that's neutralized. You know, as good as Zane has been, you feel like maybe you take Ian Ackley as the favorite in that match. Dudney, again, Spay, all these different players. It's just... Florida's good. They're very good. I don't know if they're great anywhere. And so it's going to be interesting to watch this South Carolina match. Now, again, those are your top 16 uh, teams right now in the SEC. A&M 25 and one. They're five in the current rankings. Georgia 15 and three. They're 11. I'm still very in on this Georgia team for the record. Vian Bonova gets better and better. Riasco's solid. They're playing around with doubles, but Kopik, Kowalski, I think Hurdle has found her rhythm at the number six spot. Leah Ma is just, Leah Ma is the new, she's the new like sneaky good. You don't realize how exceptional she is until she blasts the ball by you and beats you at the number one spot. I'm trying to think who she's taken that award from on the men's side. Who is the, I mean, Dominic Starry is the most pronounced example where you're like, this guy is not good at tennis. And then he's blasting balls by you and like, never mind, this guy's excellent at tennis. Who's another example of that? A little bit better version of that, because that's the Liam equivalent. Oh, geez. Is it Nuno? I mean, <laughs> yeah, but it's not you know, quite on the guy. You it's somewhere in between. Like, that's the worst athlete I've ever seen yeah. on a tennis court. It's somewhere between Starry and Nuno. That's Leah Ma. That's like the scale. She's the neutral in the scale. But Georgia's just legit. They are very, very good. And I know they just didn't get the chance to play that many matches this season. But I hope we get AM Georgia part two, because I would love to see how the freshmen learned from their first experience. That said, again, your top 16 teams, uh, Florida, uh, A&M, Georgia, Auburn at 13, Florida at 15. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's look beyond that and look at some of the teams that have both exceeded expectations and now, you know, find themselves very much in the postseason conversation. We've alluded and we'll start with uh, the women's side. We've alluded to South Carolina, who certainly has, you know, earns the signature victory for three at home against Auburn. And, you know, after struggling through the start of the season losses, I think a five two loss at Oklahoma has certainly appreciated. But losses against Texas Tech, Wake Forest and, you know, uh, certainly a loss at Arkansas. It's funny. All of their losses have actually really appreciated and valued They're 13 and eight overall, but the losses are again at Oklahoma, number two in the country at NC state was a top five team for the majority of the season. Certainly the wake Texas tech losses, whatever, but at AM, not a bad loss, Georgia, not a bad loss at Arkansas, not a bad loss. The Vanderbilt one, 
I mean, they were in control of that match from the start, but now they've won three in a row. They're at Florida this weekend, another chance at a big win. This team is as hot as any team in the country. They are going to be, you know, one of the most dangerous number two seeds, right, Chris, uh, come the NCAA tournament in a region because they've got Hamner, they've got Ackley, they've got the success in doubles, they've got some experience elsewhere. You're just like, this is a team that can very easily find three points. The question is, how do they get to four you look at the other locks. I mean, again, Tennessee, 12 and seven overall in the season, tough loss against Vandy this weekend, but you look for this Tennessee team who, you know, played, uh, played AM extraordinarily close. Ultimately it was a, uh, what four, three loss for them. Uh, when all of the matches completed, you look for this Tennessee team. Uh, they played Arkansas or they play Arkansas on the road. They ultimately get a four, three victory in Fayetteville. They, you know, again, play uh, Florida pretty close on the road, South Carolina, pretty close on the road. They're a solid team as well. They've got depth everywhere. You look in the lineup, whether it's, um, you know, from, Mertena, Malinaro, Adashina, just all the, I mean, Coots are at five. They've just got options everywhere. And this is a team now after losing to Vanderbilt, that was their first loss of the season after they've won the doubles point. This Tennessee team wins a lot of doubles points. And when they do, they've just got the depth to find three singles wins, even if they don't have overwhelming favorites anywhere. I talked about the danger that is Arkansas. The interesting team to me is Vanderbilt who right now currently ranked number 39 may have saved their season uh, by winning that match at Tennessee twice now against South Carolina and against Tennessee. They drop uh, the doubles point. They find victory, at least three singles victories in the three through six single spots. They found four of them against South Carolina. Vanderbilt team may not have the top, you know, the flashy star. They need a Hamner. They need, you know, a Kessler at the top of their lineup. Boy, would that provide them a little extra juice? Who wouldn't want them? Them in particular, you feel like it would help. But I mean, the SEC, there's a lot of depth in this conference. All those teams are very, very good. Uh, those are your teams in the tournament right now. You've got Alabama at 45, Ole Miss at 47 on the bubble. I mean, Kentucky at 58. Kentucky is yet to win an SEC match. Respectfully, I don't think they're getting into the tournament. Talk to me about the bottom of the conference, your thoughts. Sorry, I know I did a lot of talking there, but I think all of those teams exceeded expectations this season. Yeah. yeah Except I'll, for I'll maybe Vanderbilt, in, who has saved their year. Yeah, I'll throw in a, a, a little dual gender. I think the most interesting team of the weekend uh, crossing both genders is Vanderbilt. Welcome because- to the Vanderbilt fascination train. Hold on. I've made room for you on the Lapidot train this year. I've made room for you on the Mitsui train this year. I've been talking about Vanderbilt tennis for months, Chris. You know, I said, I'm telling you, man, I'm watching these Vanderbilt matches and it just gets weird. I couldn't agree with you more. Go on. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the women, as you stated, are now, you know, they're up to projected 36 this week, but both, both the men and the women, you know, one, one at home and one on the road, uh, get, get the Mississippi schools this week. The men are at Mississippi state and at Ole Miss, uh, and the women, uh, and the women host Mississippi state and Ole Miss. Those are, you know, Ole Miss being a couple spots out of the bubble playing Vandy who's just inside on the women's side is a very, that that's a huge match, probably even more so for Ole Miss than it is for Vanderbilt, but it's very dangerous if Vanderbilt loses as, as pushing them back down in the range of being in that bubble cut line. And on the men's side, it's the exact same. 
Vanderbilt, I believe if I go back and look at the men, I think they're actually out at the moment. Uh, but you look right now. So I have it in front of me right now on the men's side, Vanderbilt 45 in the current rankings, 50 though, in the projected 14 and nine. So they're just out. Yeah. Arkansas out. in though now in the projected rankings. shout out to Arkansas. We'll get there in a second. Go on. Yeah. But, but again, they're just out, but again, with Ole Miss and Mississippi state this weekend, when either one of those, like Arkansas did last weekend against Mississippi state, and you probably find yourself back in. So both Vandy schools, I think, stand to play themselves into the tournament this weekend. And where's Vandy in the conference rankings on the men's side? Uh, on both sides, honestly, where are they in the standings? Well, on the men's side, they're tied for second to last. I mean, only in front of Alabama. They're two and eight. Uh, <laughs> it's tied the with best Ole Miss. two so, and eight conference season, though, in history. Yeah, that that's a... That's a bad, well, which is the other thing. Obviously, they get Mississippi State, who's only one in front at three and seven, and then they're tied with Ole Miss at two and eight. So not only is it a, a big match there, nobody wants to play that 12-13 match against Bama because there's absolutely nothing to be gained by playing that match. Who is Vanderbilt's uh, travel partner? Uh, this weekend? Yeah. They the do not man? necessarily, yeah, there's nobody that does both. Because uh, Arkansas is, let's see, on the men's side, yeah, Arkansas has got. Who do the Ole Miss men play this weekend is really my question. Yeah, Ole Miss has got Arkansas and Vandy. Okay, so that is fascinating because you look right now for Ole Miss. They are 12 and 11 overall on the season. They are flirting with the 500 rule. Arkansas is 14 and 11. They are now inside the NCAA tournament cutoff line. As you just alluded to, Vanderbilt is fighting for their life on the cutoff line. And I know we have quickly transitioned to the men's side, but just, I guess, to put a bow on the women, South Carolina is safely in, dangerous. Tennessee is safely in, dangerous. Arkansas at 14 and 7. They are safely in, they are dangerous. We just talked about the Vanderbilt women still in a perilous position, but Ole Miss 45 in the current rankings, Mississippi State, though, 10 and 13, sneaky solid on the women's side. They're 63 in the rankings. They sweep that weekend. That's not going to hurt them, right, in the NCAA tournament race. It probably does, as you alluded to, solidify their spot and, you know, gives them buffer. Where are they ranked, the uh, Vanderbilt women in the conference standings? Uh, in the conference standings? They'll be what, right around eighth, maybe ninth? Uh, see one two, because they took some early lumps. I mean, they absolutely. Yeah, well, they're in a. There's a seven through ten or eight through ten tie with Bama, Old Miss, and Vandy all at four and seven. So they've got the chance to separate themselves. And again, you get the seven seed. How much more valuable that is, and getting those early shots, and maybe a, a look at Georgia as well. Uh, certainly for Vanderbilt, a big opportunity this weekend. You transition to the men's side, a little bit more chaotic. Texas A&M, 21 and 10. We've talked about them pretty frequently. The talent they have, this is a team that is very well situated for the next, not just two seasons, three seasons. This core of, you know, Schachter, Perego, Perot, uh, Casper, and Marcone and all of these guys are going to continue to age well. Mathis Ross, and they're going to bring in some additional recruits as well. And obviously to get a win over Georgia and to play Tennessee as close as they did, they're a dangerous number two seed wherever they had come the NCAA tournament. Auburn at 18 and seven is very interesting. I think there's a lot of similarities between them and A&M. I think they're very solid 
everywhere, whether it be their doubles point. And obviously it helps to have the defending NCAA doubles finalists at the number one spot who just quietly put together a sensational season uh, for the Tigers. They're 18 and seven. They're not going to be a top 16 seed, but they are firmly in the NCAA tournament and they're a dangerous squad. The bottom of the conference is a little bit funkier because I, I mean, like you can't tell me for certain that Mississippi state at 35 Ole Miss at 36, but 12 and 11 LSU at 41, but 13 and nine Arkansas 44 in the projected rankings currently 15 and four though, uh, currently 54 though, 14 and 11. And why do they make that big jump? Uh, some of you might be asking, well, of course you look for Arkansas, uh, over the course of the past weekend, obviously was a massive weekend, uh, for them as they, uh, ultimately what they got the wins, I believe over, I mean, they got a doubleheader win over St. Louis, but you know, I'm just waiting to put salt in that wound Four three victory for them over Mississippi state at home this weekend. Uh, that's a big boost for them. And you mentioned it, Vanderbilt making that Mississippi swing this weekend. Those are very much pick them sort of matches. Both teams have different sort of strength. It's going to be, you know, again, Vanderbilt's been as good in doubles as anyone. And you need to win doubles points when you're on the road. They have the ability to do that. You know, just played Tennessee extraordinarily close at 4-3 uh, in that match. Talk to me about the bottom of the conference. Who are you, lo- you know, again, which are any of these teams safe yet in that Mississippi State to Vanderbilt? Uh, section of the draw and what do the conference standings look like no they're not safe i mean so you know starting at projected 35 this week right is mississippi state uh you know un- obviously a bad loss uh, at arkansas but the the perils of having only seven scholarship guys they were out too and had to play a walk-on um so uh you know and that turned out to be you know potentially the difference is they lose a four, three match and they obviously lose that spot. Uh, and you know, you hope for, for their sake, hopefully, uh, hopefully one of those two is, is back this week, because if you're playing with five guys, you know, in the sec, you're probably not going to win. Uh, so that's there. I wouldn't call them safe and they've got, you know, they've got Kentucky, a team they've already played at home and lost to kickoff weekend this year and Vandy. So that Vandy match, could be huge for them at home. That first one of the weekend. I mean, if they win, sure, they're safe. If they lose, now they could be in, you know, in very, very bad territory. And Vandy will play themselves uh, right in. And then and right I really after- like this Vandy team. Again, in doubles, whether it's at the number one spot with uh, Ross and I think it's Klotman. And then, uh, you know, again, the seniors, Harwell and Freeman, and just the depth they have as well. It seems pretty solid everywhere. Like, again, LSU, I really like Hunter. And, you know, I, I really like Diaz Ferrer, who's been excellent. I think one of Kozlov and Holman is going to get a win on any given day. The question is, where's the fourth point coming from? Obviously, for Arkansas, when you've got Reco and, you know, Rousset and all and Buchan and all these different options there. Melvin, I think Melvin Manuel's played really well this year for Arkansas as well. And he earned a big victory this weekend. You know, they've got a lot of options in different places. We know the faces for Ole Miss, Lick, uh, Lith, and John uh, Lithin and Holquist. Uh, that might be the same person. Um, and, you know, again, all these different guys, Finn Reynolds, obviously a, a time-tested hand and, uh, you know, Simon Junk for Mississippi State. Give me Flo Broska at number one in a big match, and I always feel good about his chances. And sometimes when you've just, you feel like you've got the best player on the court, that does wonders for a team's confidence. All these teams are pretty good. Like, again, if they're a three seed in your region, you're like, oh, 
this is a tough region. If they're if Arkansas is your four seed as a first round match, I mean, let's say Arkansas is the number four seed in the Wake Forest region. Wake is going to win that match, but you're telling me Reco's not a favorite at the number one spot. You're telling me like Arkansas can't find some points in that one. That yeah. one's dangerous. Yeah, I'm with you. That's certainly certainly if if that happened and Arkansas went in and took the doubles point, you're all of a sudden going, wow, you know, Bukan at six and Reco at one, like. And now we just need one more. <laughs> you know, yeah. Those are two tough outs. And now, yeah, exactly. You're going, geez. Can we get, but, but you're right. I mean, Wake's going to win, but you're right. That's, that's not, you know, I like that. You definitively say Wake's going to win this hypothetical match. Yeah. Not, not going to be an easy one, but yeah. I mean, look, we're sitting right now on the men's side at Arkansas is the bubble right now at 44 with 11 teams in and Vanderbilt, the possibility of playing themselves in this weekend. Imagine we could be back here next week talking about this, with 12 teams in, if Vandy managed to beat Mississippi State, but Mississippi State still clung to a spot in in the tournament, we'd have 12 teams in. Yeah. No, I mean, again, you look right now at the projected rankings. Yeah, the only one definitively out is Alabama, 8-18. and 18, Although, if you watched their match against Florida this weekend, they were freaking frisky. So, like, again, it's – I. Let's do this quickly. I want to go through both conferences and then we'll look at the week ahead and we'll end today's show. And I know I'm taking up far more of your time than I promised, as always. That's why I'm immensely grateful uh, for you uh, to you, Chris. Let's play a game of, again, success or disappointment as we look at the season, as we approach the final weekend for some of these teams. And we'll start on the men's side. I think if you look at Florida, 19 and two overall, their season, whether it's a success or a failure, will be marked on how they they perform in the NCAA tournament. Certainly for Tennessee season, start out great. Now, you know what? We're not even going to do the top five, you know, the, the top teams, because I think we know the answer for that. I think let's go beyond that. AM, when you look for the men this year, and we can do this quickly for each of these teams, it's a success, right? Given you lose Habib, Vashiro, Aguilar, that this core is as frisky as they've been, made the national indoors. And honestly, I could see them making a sweet 16 and upsetting a host team. I think it's a successful season for the Aggies. Yeah, I mean, I, I it, not great, but not bad. I think it's probably, the, you know, probably in reality, the best they probably could have hoped to do is be hanging right around a 20 spot. Yeah, Auburn, 18 and seven, I think a success. Definite success. I mean, that's a program that's turned themselves around, uh, you know, where they from where they've been the past couple of years to where you can actually see now that, you know, they're starting to win matches they haven't been able to win in the SEC the last several years, and the guys are starting to believe. And everyone's, pretty much everyone's back next year. And so that team is particularly, that, that's just going to be the old scrappy bunch that finds themselves in the Sweet 16 all of a sudden next season. I agree, this is a big year for Coach Bobby Reynolds in Auburn, and I'm hopeful to get the chance to talk about it uh, with him again this offseason. Mississippi State, it's the end of the flow run. Like, again, it's really, this is the final chapter of the Nuno era. Success, failure, somewhere in between. Got to be a big disappointment. I mean, three and seven in the SEC. At, even if you beat Vandy, you're probably losing to Kentucky. You're four and eight and sitting in the mid-30s in the rankings. Not not where they wanted to be, for sure. Ole Miss? Uh, definitely a disappointment for them. I mean, they've got a lot of experience on that team. When you talk about Finn Reynolds, Simon Yunks, Jan Soren Hain, I mean, two and eight, not a, not a good year. LSU. I, 
I think LSU's actually, I mean, I look, agree. They're, they're the most fun of this group. They're only three and seven in the SEC. So it's hard to call being three and seven a success, but I think it was actually a decent year for them. And they have a, they have a very, you know, a very 50, 50 match, I would say with Arkansas this weekend. So, uh, and it's at, you know, it's home uh, for them. So that's a match they could win to get four, to get four wins. They're tied with Arkansas. Uh, I mean, it's from where they've been in the past couple of years. It's a step up. I, I mean, I think it might be a mild success for them, even though it's not great on paper. If we're doing the fun power rankings, Vanderbilt's one, LSU's two. Arkansas, if they sneak their way into the tournament, it's a success. Yeah, and they've got all and kinds of opportunity two. this weekend, right? They got their, they're both road matches, which is tough, but Ole Miss and LSU. Two matches that, you know, it's not like you're playing Tennessee or Florida or Georgia or Kentucky or South Carolina, right? So they can win those matches. So, yeah, if and if they win one, they probably are in the tournament. Yeah, no, I would agree with you there. And again, Alabama, I think we all knew it was going to be a tough season for them, just given how much they lost last year. And yet still watch them play. They're much better than their 18 and 8 record, uh, 8 and 18 record indicates. You know, on the women's side, again, I think everyone but Vanderbilt that's into the tournament except for maybe Tennessee because Tennessee had top 16 aspirations and they had a lot of returners and a lot of, uh, you know, again, experience in the Mertenas of the world and the Molinaros of the world and the Coochers of the world. And you just felt like, or you just felt like this was a big chance. Uh, uh, and McGiffins of the world, excuse me. And you felt like this was a big chance for them to make a top 16 push. I don't think it's a disappointment, but I think they have sweet 16 on their minds and that will very much be the litmus test. They do not want another second round exit in Knoxville. Coach Sanchez Quintanar, Arkansas, it's her first year. She's been around the top 25. She's in the mix. It's a success. Vanderbilt is probably the tougher one. And, you know, again, because if they get into the tournament, then given how much they struggle at the start of the conference season, I think it ends up as a success because they save their season. That's the interesting case. You know, Bama's right on the bubble. Ole Miss right on the bubble. Kentucky, very disappointing conference play, particularly given how strong they were in non-conference play. LSU, you're just crushed by injuries. I don't even, it's an incomplete grade. You know, Missouri, Mississippi State, tough. Anywhere you agree, disagree? Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously when you look at the bottom, you're almost always going to say those are disappointing seasons for them. But I, I think in particular, I mean, Missouri looked like they had started to turn some things around last year. Disappointing for them. Mississippi State, terribly disappointing. One win in the SEC uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can't disagree with, with a lot there. Yeah. All right. Well, with all that said, again, that's where things stand in the conference. And we've got one final regular season cross court cast for all of you listeners to enjoy. You can follow that on Friday, starting at noon on each of the team websites. And again, a huge thank you to this SEC conference for the opportunity to provide these matches with the platform. We know they deserve. It's been so fun, such a learning experience for me from a broadcasting perspective. And again, I'm just more informed than I've ever been because I actually get to watch all of these teams week in, week out. Like All I'm saying, I'm not saying I'm extraordinarily proud of my takes because I think that's inherent in being me. Ego is never something I've lacked, as you know, Professor. That said, watch if you want to know why have I been high on Vanderbilt from the beginning, it's because I've watched with my eyes. And to a certain extent, tennis is very much a if you watch what has happened, you will have a firm understanding of what is going on. And watching these Vanderbilt men's and women's teams play, watching the Arkansas men's and women's teams play, Auburn men's and women's teams play. You just see these teams are freaking good. And this conference is exceptional. 
any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? No, I mean, it's to be, I can't wait to get this, get the last weekend in and we can finally start to see where these teams uh, lay out. And, and, and then we will know with, you know, with decent certainty who needs to do what in the conference tournament in order to try to attempt to play their way into the tourney. So yeah. No, so bring on the last weekend. It's a busy spreadsheets calculation is going to be the name of the game for you over the next couple of weeks. So I'm sure you are looking forward to that. The ponytail is neatly tucked and ready to rock and roll. And again, we look forward to that and we will chat more, of course, on our deciding point this week to recap all of the action more broadly happening across the country in the college tennis world. Of course, a huge shout out to our friends at Turner for their support of this show. And if you want to learn more about Turner and you see that grip on the rackets of so many college tennis players, so many pros, and you know, it's not just scripts, it's strings and so much more. You can learn more about them by contacting sales at uniquesports.com. If you're a coach player listening, perhaps you want them to sponsor your team. Perhaps you want to work with them moving forward. Again, you mentioned cracked rackets sent you the hook you up with discounted pricing, free samples, treat you like family to join the Turner family today, contact sales at uniquesports.com and let them know that cracked rackets it sent you. Of course, you're looking for the broader updates. Tune into the website, crackrackets.com. We've got you covered across all levels of tennis. I'm going to have Colette Lewis on the show this week to talk about the juniors as well. We'll get her thoughts on everything that's happened in the college tennis world this season and so much more. And then, of course, Deciding Point episodes Tuesday and Thursday. You can watch them live on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. With all of that said, for my fantastic co-host, Chris Helios, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. Our friends at Turner and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 